Welcome to Galaxy Forum. I'm your host, Melissa Kaplan, and we're here to explore the creativity happening in the LCC galaxy, in our classrooms and on campus, and connecting the work of our stars with our community. We'll be talking about inclusion in theater, and I'm thrilled to welcome my guests, both with LCC and Community Connections. Kevin O'Callaghan is a professional actor and director, adjunct faculty with LCC's theater program, and director of LCC's summer stage production of Romeo and Juliet. Lane Ingram is special projects coordinator uh, at LCC in the president's office, an LCC Connect producer, creator and host of his own podcast, The Reconstructed Man, a proud out trans man, and an LGBTQIA plus advocate. Welcome and thank you both for being here. Thanks for asking. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me. This is awesome. You have such a great podcast voice. You really do. It's really good. Thank I was you. so surprised like when very it came. calm and like uh, controlled. Yeah. Born with it. <laughs> <laughs> you woke up like that. I woke up like that. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. So for this conversation today, my inspirations are a number of things that I'm seeing right now in, in theater and in the world. Uh, in theater, just in my little mid-Michigan microcosm, two things, two things have struck me this Pride Month. Uh, the rewrite of the iconic musical, The Fantastics, which uh, Flint Repertory Theater has been involved with the original writer in producing, and it replaces a boy-girl love story with a boy-boy love story. And the casting approach that you've taken, Kevin, to Romeo and Juliet, and how you've adapted Shakespeare's romantic tragedy with the pronouns and the identities of those that you found best for the roles. So those are some mighty inclusive actions. Um, and at the same time, there's mighty pushback against the LGBTQIA plus people and their rights socially, politically, legislatively. And I'm trying to reconcile and understand all this. I, reconciliation is probably <laughs> more than we will accomplish in this podcast, but maybe some understanding and, and uh, you know, why is this happening now and, and what's theater's place in and the art's place uh, in this, this conversation and action. So I'm hoping you two can help. And I'm thinking that it'd be great to start, Kevin, with your work here at LCC with yeah. Romeo and Juliet. And what inspired you to take this approach? Yeah, uh, great questions. Thanks for, uh, thanks again for having me. I'm, you know, I've been, after the, murder of George Floyd, which is not necessarily what we're talking about today, but it was a moment for me where, um, I was trying to figure out what my place as a very privileged white man, uh, was as an artist. Um, I've been really lucky to just get the lead roles or the lover or this, because that's what, uh, that's the lens that people have seen a lot of these classic plays through. But what, like, I just sat back and I was like, why though? Like, why, what's the difference if, Romeo, uh, Romeo's pronouns are they like, what, what is that? It does nothing to the actual play, right? Love is love. But I started to think after I was self-reflecting, like, how do I fit into this? Like what, if I'm fortunate enough to keep getting jobs as a director or an actor, like I need to use my platform for representation of others who may not have that opportunity otherwise. So that's just kind of been my, I guess, uh, motivation over the last, you know, couple of years. But with this show, I was specifically inspired by my students. Um, this 
show of Romeo and Juliet is unique because it's part of a class, the studio class. So I have a base of uh, seven or eight actors who are in my class who are uh, uh, in the show. Um, and, and the students, the students just they take a class that it's a required for the theater studio right. program, and then they audition for the production. The yeah. production is kind of an extension of the coursework, the full semester coursework that they do on Shakespeare. Right. And we have uh, people from the community and other students who aren't in the class or alumni who join, which is really cool. Um, but the actor that most fit with the character, the, the titular character of Romeo, um, uh, their pronouns are they. And I, I had a moment where I, I didn't even think about it. I just thought, this is Romeo. This is what we're going to do. And I had the conversation with, with the actor. Would you prefer to use they pronouns in the play? Or would you prefer to uh, portray Romeo as uh, traditionally as a male? It was up to the actor to really decide. But we decided at the end that it was best to go with they. So I just went through and changed all the pronouns in the play. Um, uh, Benvolio also... Um, uh, pronouns are they? So it was like, just changed all the pronouns. And it was just seemed so easy to me and kind of shocking that it hasn't happened yet. Like, that's one of the things that's really kind of struck me. And I mean, I was part of it not happening. Now I'm, uh, luckily, I'm, I'm trying to be a part of the change that I think is so necessary. But um, how did it not how did it get to 2022 before we started to see so much of this change, I guess, was the question that I asked myself and tried to be part of the solution. That's a, absolutely. And that's, you know, I think, you know, there's a confluence of, of events and activities and, and, uh, very positive, um, happenings that have, have made us all more aware, um, and have, have actually helped to equalize or create more equity. Um, but, uh, you know, that, as we know, that kind of goes up and down and back and back and forth. Just one other, I know in, in your casting too, you've, you have some roles that are, uh, traditionally written as men, right. as women, like Tybalt right. is, is female. Now that's not, Un, you know, as unusual in, in Shakespeare. Um, yeah, you're right. Uh, but typically the way that I've seen it usually is that the, the female then just portrays a male, which is m much of the time, not all the time. And in this case, we just, we change the pronouns again. And so Tybalt is she, you know, she dies. When they reference her, she dies. And uh, when they reference Romeo, they, you know. And whatever. so Tybalt is not, she is not, it's not, a she playing a male Correct. and Romeo is not a, they playing a male. It's, yeah, it's reflective of those, those actors who are in those roles. Yeah. Why should we make them be someone they're not to fit within a story that's so many hundreds of years old that doesn't necessarily need it. Now there are plays and, and especially with contemporary works, right? Where, you're a lot more restricted. There are copyright things and uh, directives that you get from certain playwrights, depending on how involved they are with their work and how specific they want to get. But with Shakespeare, the reason I love doing it so much, the joy that it brings me is because you can do anything you want with it. And that, I guess, was also my inspiration. You know, I wanted to make it of today. And my students uh, pronouns, some of them are they, some of them uh, are gay, some of them are, you know, there's so many different um, demographics of people. Uh, why not put on stage what our country actually looks like and what our city and our community actually looks like versus like, you know, whitewashing it for lack of a better term or gender washing it just to make it fit with something traditional, you know, why not break the, break the norms and try something new and hopefully be able to connect with some people who may otherwise have felt unconnected with. Absolutely. Well, and we'll 
talk about the Fantastics in a minute sure. because that's a, a another layer. But Lane, I'm, I'm interested in in bringing you in and and your reaction to to this approach and what that. You know, have you seen other examples of that? Or, you know, what do you think that means for people who are going to be in the audience and, and seeing this? You know, I had two really quick reactions. Um, and the first one, I reacted, I think, as a black person. Because whenever you hear a white person talk about George Floyd's murder being a moment for them, I mean, my ears kind of perk up because, one, you want to hear why, but two, you know, it's great when you meet somebody that does understand the privilege that, they, that they've had, that does understand that sometimes they're in different spaces than we might be in, that sometimes they're talking to a different audience than we might be. And to have somebody use that, their platform to make a difference is really important. And so my first response was, you know, what a impactful moment for all of us, I think, across the country, regardless of who you are, how you felt. And and I think that was a pivotal moment for a lot of people, and a lot of people didn't know what to do. And so my first reaction as a black person was like, this is somebody that's actually trying to do something to make a difference. And so then when I think about it through the trans lens, it's like, I agree with you. Like, why did it take until 2022 to get here? But like, we're in 2022 and things are a mess. And so um, I think what you're doing for the students is huge. And the impact that it'll have on the audience is also huge because like it or not, you're going to see it, you're going to hear it. And these are just still humans, you know? And so I, I appreciate it. We, we need you, you know, we, we need all of us, but we need things like this to keep happening. So I'd say those would be my first two reactions. And then just to kind of take it a step further, it's like, the legislation that's sweeping across the country, you know, things like this, somebody could come to this show who, you know, doesn't really understand what that means, right? And it might prompt them to do some real searching or it might prompt them to ask a question or it could open up their eyes, right? Like it could help them understand that they use the word they all the time to describe things. Um, and so every little bit helps. We just, I mean, the attacks are growing, they're, you know, they're getting bigger. And I tell people all the time, there's like 1.4 million trans people in the U.S., 1.4 million. There are 330 million people here. There are 330 wow. million people, and there's 1.4 trans people. That is half, less than half a percent. And so when you you doing this, to me, sheds a light on, like, what are we talking Like, what are we talking yeah, about? Yeah. You know? So. Yeah. Yeah, there's such a intense level of i don't know if it's if it's real fear but it's it's certainly you know be fanning the flames and 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 creating something much bigger than than it is um you know in terms of that legislation and and you know the the pushback that's that's existing but yeah when you look at that also i mean we talk about why 2022 um many reasons and we would probably need other guests <laughs> to give us that deep analysis but these are these are ways of being these are you know the the gender different this is not new this is not 20th 21st century stuff this is like as long as there's been humans correct there's been you know this whole fluid range of gender identity it's just not necessarily been communicated i think personally i'm just throw my opinion in here i think 
our means of communication have brought all this out for better or worse. Mm. And we have so much fast, instant uh, communication with social media and the internet that, you know, things spread like wildfire. And representation matters, though. I mean, that this the thing is, is that this play could change. Like if, there, if a kid comes who wants to change their pronouns and they've never heard it or they're, you know, presenting in the opposite gender that gender they want to and they get a chance to hear somebody use the pronoun they right like that could change their life where they see somebody playing an opposite character and it's just okay and everybody's fine like these are life-saving things I mean representation really does matter I mean I didn't grow up with anything I mean think about it. I didn't get my first cell phone until I was like in college you know <laughs> so I mean there was I mean I didn't read about trans people I didn't learn about trans people and so that might have I can't explain the difference that might have made. So however small you might think it is, however small somebody else might think it is, like it's, it's big to somebody else. Sure. So, yeah. You know, and another thing, another on the same point, uh, it's I make mistakes every day. Like I, I buy, not every day, I'm, we're working on it pretty hard, but you know, once a week or every, every so often I say the wrong gender to one of my actors and I correct myself and I apologize and we move on. Um, but it's okay. I think the thing for people who are new to this, because that those are the people that I want to reach to, are the people who uh, maybe have never called someone they, mm -hmm. ever. Never even heard it, in fact, probably some people, um, or are uncomfortable with it. Certainly a lot of people are going to be uncomfortable with that. Um, but if it opens up just a door that they can peek inside and say, oh, this this feels more comfortable to me than it wouldn't, uh, that it's okay to make the mistake and move on from it and grow. Like we have to take these opportunities to grow, even if it maybe is messy. Right. But I think a lot of people are afraid to, to take that step. It's, you have to, you have a certain level of bravery to, to do that. You know? I mean, I'm, I'm with you on to a certain extent and that's just life experience and that's, and it's called boundaries and it's called protecting yourself because at the end of the day, um, these aren't hard things. This is Eng these are English words, and and I'm just and I'm speaking directly to the people who might have fear of it. What are you scared of? A word, okay? <laughs> and so, and and I understand how my voice sounds right now, but this is I mean I'm passionate about this, right? Because it is 2022, and how long are we going to keep talking about this? And I get it, like people are learning about it every day, but like you don't keep getting breaks because people are getting killed, and so. I'm with you, you know, like there's people who want to learn, there's people who want to change, who want to be open. And like we do, we need to educate them. We need to spread awareness. We need to be patient. But there's also boundaries and there's also use your brain and speak English words. Mm -hmm. End of story for me. Yeah. Yeah. And and I've, I've known people are gotten hung up on the grammar. Well, they should be, you know, and I'm not a grammarian so i don't know is that that is a pronoun yes obviously that's a pronoun but what is it it's supposed to agree with other things right grammarian that's a word isn't yeah. it i didn't just make that up but yeah there's there's and i think those that conceals um the the an underlying yes. discomfort yes. i mean like you said you, you make a mistake you you correct it and excellent you you move yeah. on i mean i've i've been sure. there done the same thing coming from a great place though the yeah. right place that's that's yeah. the you know i mean you're off you're there's only thing you mean to be is authentic and real and that's why it's so easy for you to quickly correct yourself yeah that's why. And one day I won't have to. Correct. And that's, I can't, you know, I'm excited for that day yeah. because it's inherently just a better, happier, more inclusive way to live your life. But you being know? a teacher and having that, 
is huge. I mean, it's just a safe place. And I think that's arts in general. I think that's arts in general. It's safe for kids, just like sports, you know, because arts and sports, they teach kids confidence. They teach them teamwork. They teach them about hard, hard work, determination, right? And you, you could be missing something if a whole big piece of you is not there. And if you get the right coach, the right professor, the right teacher, the right mentor, who's like, it's all right to be you. I mean, that's, that's also life-changing. So, Huge, yeah. yeah. How have... Um how had the cast reacted to this, Kevin? Yeah, it's, you know, like I said, when, when the casting happened, we just did it and we moved on with it and changed the pronouns. Everyone learned the lines, you know, with the pronouns being what they are. And it's totally fine. Kids you are know? cool. Kids are cool. And, and, and I mean, they're, they're, we talk about growing up at a different time, right? right. We're all of different ages, um, much older than most of the students. Um, but they're more tuned into it because it's a part of their every day. Yes. Like, you know, it, for us, it's a little bit more like I'm now entering into someone else's world because mm -hmm. of the age, age gap. You know, I make like movie references to try to get a point across. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> looking at blank faces, you know, uh, those, those aging moments that pop right. up. But, but yeah, like, like to Lane's point, like the, the, they're a part of this and this is special to them. And the way that they communicate um, is authentic and they're using the proper pronouns because that's all they know. You know, and they get it. And it's mm. not because it's not a thing. <laughs> yep. That's that's the thing about students and that this generation of kids. It's just like, why would we care? We <laughs> we have yeah. so many other things that we like to actually do, which <laughs> is great. You know, and maybe something that will save us as they as they continue to get older. So that's yeah. what I say. Indeed. You know, one thing that that strikes me with this show, Romeo and Juliet, but also with the Fantastics, um, it, it is how there's there's an element of intense conflict that brings the lovers together in each of each of those plays mm. in in you know Romeo and Juliet it's the feuding Montagues and Capulets um that and the the intense passion of the, the young Romeo and Juliet from the opposite families and the fantastics uh it's uh uh neighbors who kind of pretend to feud in order to bring their kids together mm. and just to talk about that that play which so so to me there's some really interesting things here because i also think about the potential of these plays and happening right now the the conflict and yet the love that is uh, exists in spite of that conflict and i feel like if if anything could be um, a message for our times that has potential that we are in a time of big conflict, but there's there's great great love yeah. there too. Um, this, but just to talk about the Fantastics for a sec, that is really um, I mean that was a show that ran off Broadway like this iconic musical longest for, ever. Okay, ever. was that like decades? Thirty some years it ran. Yeah. I'll date myself, but yeah. I saw it in New York yeah. in the yeah. late seven, <laughs> like around nineteen eighty, and it was it was it was awesome. Yeah. And as I understand, um, the Flint Repertory Theater um, was interested in changing the the. Um, the two young people from a boy and a girl to two boys and reached out to the, the writer and the writer said, Hmm, maybe not, but then said, yes, but I'm going to rewrite it. Right. And so Tom Jones, the original book writer and lyricist, um, rewrote it in collaboration uh, for, wow. with Flint repertory. Th yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And, and he's 94. Wow. 
so Kevin, you've got a, a bit of a connection there, yeah. but I think that to me is, is a very, oh, there was a quote I wanted to share. It's just, yeah. it's so powerful. I was reading an article, um, an interview, uh, with him. Um, and it said, transforming the boy and the girl into two boys is an idea I've had for a long time. This is the artistic director of Flint Rep saying this, rethinking the show through the lens of two young gay men reveals so much about first love, identity, and self-discovery. You know, what, what revelation is that, especially for, for people seeing it the first time, but people who've seen both versions mm -hmm. to go, two gay men, to a boy and a girl, are they in a, you know, whatever combination, it's first love, identity, and self-discovery, the universal subjects. Yeah. But I know you have some connections, Kevin, with Flint Rep, and if you could talk yeah. a little bit about this, sure. that would be great. Yeah, I. Uh, to be clear, I've, I can take zero credit for this. Uh, the genius of uh, Michael Luberis, the artistic director, and uh, uh, I happen to be married. to. I, I'm affiliated by marriage. My, my <laughs> wife uh, is the general manager at Flint Repertory Theater, and um, uh, they worked really hard to make this show happen, and it's uh, it, it's 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 really special. Um, but yeah, the uh, a lot of people came out of that that piece saying it works better this way, you know, and and one way or the other, like you said, it's love is love. And this is just a love story. But there are things that happen to track throughout the the journey of the show that seem to just make more sense. Um, and uh, it just landed in a very different way. And it was more of our time. You know, we've seen we've seen the 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 boy loves girl, you know, chase story how many times this is something new and exciting well for a lot of people not not the idea of of gay love but um this actual piece was so new for so many people in that way but um uh yeah and and you talked about shakespeare it's such a shakespearean piece there's even like a character who plays the wall like they do in midsummer night's dream and there's all of these crazy quotes from uh, shakespeare that are are in the show so i really liked this happening at the same time while my show was happening was kind of fun happenstance because of all the connections I was making between the two, but, um, super brave of them to take this step. Uh, and, uh, for, for Tom Jones at 94 years old to say, I'll go back to work, you know, I'll, I'll go back wow. and, 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 and change my masterpiece, you know, mm -hmm. that, that is such a, such a uh, staple in the musical theater canon. Um, so, uh, it was, it's pretty special. Um, there's, there's a moment to, I'm going to mess this up, but it says, um, uh, uh, he says at the end, uh, it was never, it used to be about the wall, right? There's this wall at the end, you'll see. But the, the line of the play now has been changed to, it was never about the wall. And that was like this, that's the, the final thing that he's going to put into the universe. And I thought that was especially potent, giving the changes to this and given the dynamics between the lovers. Um, it, 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 the, whole, the whole show just landed very differently. And I think it was really effective. So cheers to them for, for doing that type of brave work. Yeah, exciting. And, and you know, hopefully other works will, will follow in those footsteps to, you know, both... I'm, New works are created all the time, but to take, as you said earlier on, so many, you know, classics, they center the white male, they're written by the white men, and, you know, but it, that's not all that's out there. Right. So, um, you know, as theater producers and theater makers, um, it is uh, an important role to to 
expand that and to to you know make space for all voices. Um, Lane, you mentioned about the arts that the arts. This is something that the arts are good at. Why do you think that is? I think because it's accepting, and I think you know, like a, a lot of the the activities that become hobbies or activities that we love to do or become our communities where we find our friends or the people that we consider our family that we don't share blood with, like they come from the places where you gather and you're doing something together. That's why, you know, sports teams and arts, they do that, right? If you're dancing, if you're acting, if you're singing, I mean, you're spending time with these people and they're accepting you and you're trying something, right? So you have people at various levels of talent, but you're all there for the same thing. And I think when you're part of the LGBTQ plus community, community is so important and being able to express yourself and being able to be authentic and then also having a space where you can do the thing you love and still be yourself you know and I think the arts is really accepting in that way and so it's in, it's important for all kids but to me especially this community because it's another home like I mean did you guys watch Pose at all anybody any of you mm -hmm. watch Pose no oh man Pose on FX is a great show yeah. and it um, it's about really the the drag community, um, you know, like coming up in New York. And I mean, it's a great show. My but, stepdaughter's a huge fan. Oh, man, I've got to watch it. Yeah. No, Pose is great. But like, that's what it's about, that community. And, and we don't have any place else to go. Or like, you start to look forward to seeing your people because your home life isn't okay. You don't get the support that you, you get. Or they, the person that you put in that lead role doesn't get to be called they at home. Right. Do you see? Like, mm -hmm. that's why. And um, yeah. And, and it's even a bit different from sports because it is so stringent a little bit and, and binary and, and under attack. You know, the arts is about expression and not reality, you know, and it's an escape. So that's, that's why, that's why, that's why I say that. Yeah. The, it, sports that it's, you know, you mentioned the binary. Why do you think it is that there's been this eruption of, uh, attempted and successful legislation in some places. Uh, you know, I think about the sports and, and prohibiting uh, trans youth from playing. And um, why, why, again, why now? Mm -hmm. I think this is where fear and ignorance comes in. And it's a different kind of fear. It's the fear of what you don't know, which is ignorance. And so, and it's also people who are in the power to make those decisions that's so that's one part of it but ignorance is big because the the misinformation about trans people about trans youth is is really unparalleled right now the messaging around the lgbtqia plus community is outrageous right now just in terms i mean <laughs> so i'd say to you i think it i think it's outrageous i think it's outrageous right now because we're not even talking about very many kids, right? Like Ohio just signed a bill banning trans kids. There's like one kid trying to play and there hasn't been another one for what, 15 years. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And so yeah. it's, it's, it's a very small population. It feels like a distraction, but it also feels like an unwarranted and unnecessary attack. Because like I told you before, I didn't learn about any trans people. I didn't see any, didn't read about any. And so you can't stop it, you know, but you can make things more difficult for people you can make it so there are less trans people here because our suicide rates are higher especially in youth i mean the thing i say to parents when their kid has come out to them and they're struggling with it i say well would you rather have a kid or no kid would you i don't mm. would you rather have a kid or no kid 
Like, let's start there. Absolutely. Because what are we really talking about? You know, what are we talking about? Yeah. So. And we are getting down to our last couple minutes. Um, I know the arts aren't the end all and be all answer, but I agree with you. I think they, they allow for that expression and hopefully as more and more people do these kinds of productions and then see these kinds of productions and participate in these kind of productions. It helps create that space, as you said, Lane, where people, you know, if uh, feel comfortable being themselves and feel comfortable with other people being themselves. So, um, I just want to say quick, I, thanks for doing that. It's, it's really big. It's really important. And it means a lot to me that it's happening at LCC um, because it continues to show that we care and that, uh, the department's behind you, which means that, you know what I mean? So it matters. Yeah. And so thank you for being brave yeah. and thank you for correcting yourself. You make mistakes and thank you for recognizing your privilege. You know what I mean? Yeah. Those are important things and make sure that you take that everywhere you go. Yeah. Thank you both so much for being guests today, Lane Ingram and Kevin O'Callaghan. What a great conversation. And thank you, our listeners, for tuning in. Got to wrap it up. To listen to this and other episodes of Galaxy Forum and all the LCC Connect programming, visit lccconnect.org. Special thanks to Lane with his producer hat and to Dedalian Lowry, who is also our technical producer, and to Andy Callis for composing our theme music. I'm Melissa Kaplan, and this is Galaxy Forum on LCC Connect. Examining the issues and topics that affect our lives from the local level to the world stage. Listen to the programs of LCC Connect anytime at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. K-12 Operations at Lansing Community College has been a proud collaborator of the Mason Promise Scholarship since 2016. The Mason Promise Scholarship is a community organization of volunteers that guarantees funding for two years of Lansing Community College education to selected Mason Public School students. These selected students are chosen by the Mason Public Schools at the end of the fifth grade and then become a Mason Promise Scholarship through an induction ceremony. Over the course of the next six years, these students receive mentoring and support as well as introduction to career possibilities through the Pathway Program. For more information on the Mason Promise Scholarship at LCC, please visit lcc.edu hope. Hundreds of thousands of veterans have taken off their uniforms and put them away carefully packed and safely stowed. But for some veterans, the uniform isn't so easily removed. The emotions experienced while serving continue to weigh on them. Life after service is different. Many veterans find transitioning difficult and daily life is no longer as enjoyable as it once was. Some feel overwhelmed and lost. But that uncertainty doesn't take away from their strength and courage, nor does it take away from the sense of duty veterans carry with them. The transition from service is different for everyone. If you are a veteran going through a difficult time or no one who is, the power of one person, one connection, one act of compassion can make a difference. For free 24-7 confidential support, call the Veterans Crisis Line at 1-800-273-8255 and press 1 or visit veteranscrisisline.net. 
Lansing Community College's Fresh Start program forgives outstanding student balances, allowing students to re-enroll without penalty. Fresh Start does not apply to student loan creditors. Learn more at lcc.edu slash fresh start. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. You're listening to LCC Alumni Stories, a show dedicated to highlighting the amazing alumni of Lansing Community College. I'm Steve Robinson, president of LCC, and on each episode I have the awesome privilege of getting to know one of our many inspiring alums and hearing about their experiences at and since leaving LCC. The LCC alumni community is expansive and far-reaching. They're an incredibly diverse group of people, representative of all walks of life, working in hundreds of industries across the country. LCC Alumni Stories shines a bright light on alumni who make positive contributions to their communities and showcases those who've overcome obstacles and barriers to achieve academic and personal success. These are their dynamic stories. My guest today is Todd Haywood. Todd earned an associate degree from LCC before going on to do amazing things in theater, including directing on Broadway, in advocacy for better LGBTQ plus representation, in healthcare as it relates to HIV education and awareness, and in journalism, exposing large financial scandals, and even serving two years on the LCC Board of Trustees. Todd, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, it's going to be fun. I'm really looking forward to talking to you about your multifaceted experience here at LCC, first as a student, then as a trustee. You know, when we came into the studio today, we were talking about your journalism. You, you do a lot of investigative journalism, and currently you've got the cover story in the City Pulse. Tell me a little bit about this story. Right. So this was a, a story based on a murder that happened in uh, December of 2018. Okay. Um, here, here in the Lansing area. Here in the Lansing area, mm-hmm. out in Eaton County, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it got a lot of headlines at the time because the alleged killer was found walking down the street uh, in Grand Ledge, on Grand Ledge Highway at 530 at night at, you know, 30 degree weather, covered in blood. Oh, my. And uh, we did a deep dive into it, and we found all kinds of really troubling stuff about the victim, the gentleman who was actually murdered. And so we have a 4,000-word uh, cover story on what what was really going on behind the doors of the Red Barn House in Oneida Township. So you were sharing with me that your investigative reporting was based on freedom of information requests and you had a a huge stack of documents, but you've turned that into a piece of investigative journalism about this really traumatic uh, event that happened in our community. Absolutely. It was, and it involves methamphetamine use and abuse. It involves exploitation of homeless young men. It involves uh, BDSM. It involves sexuality. Um, sexual assaults, um, robbery, and, and instances of young men running from this house covered in blood and beating oh, on the terrible. windows of, of neighbors, um, screaming, help me, they're going to kill me. Um, and, uh, you know, this, this story is not over. That was one of the things that somebody asked on Facebook after we posted this is, why are you talking about this now? It happened in December of, of 20. Uh, 18. Well, that's and not I that said, long ago. I said, well, because the guy who's accused of killing 
still hasn't stood trial yet because they keep finding him incompetent Mm -hmm. (laughs) to assist in his own defense. Well, and I'm really looking forward to, I have not read the story yet. I'm looking forward to reading it. But one of the things you shared with me is the underlying context to this is human trafficking, sexual slavery, uh, things that there's a kind of a stigma to talk about, but are clearly important issues uh, in our community, in communities all over the country. Right. It's, it's a huge issue. And it's, you know, I, I consider myself pretty well versed in what's happening in the LGBTQ community okay. here in Lansing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and nationally and statewide. But I have to tell you, I had no idea how bad the methamphetamine and sex trafficking activity was, not just in Lansing, but across the state of Michigan and across the United States. It was a real eye opener for me. Wow. Well, incredibly important. I'm looking forward to reading your story. But one thing that you just said that I want to make sure we talk about in the first part of the podcast is you were sharing with me that you were one of the first openly gay students at LCC. Uh, I don't know if we've kept track. You might be the first out gay man who was elected a trustee of LCC. I believe I was, actually. So so tell me about that. Uh, When were you a student at LCC, and what was it like to be a gay man uh, at that time? So uh, I started at LCC in 1989. Uh, I like to say I was on the five-year plan Mm -hmm. uh, because I kept switching majors switching majors okay right that happens always really interested in something different every year Mm -hmm. so yep um but uh i came out uh sort of with a on the front page actually the lansing state journal because i was doing a lot of hiv prevention work with homeless lgbtq youth Mm -hmm. uh, and at the time ran into some folks from a conservative religious organization here in town who were passing out uh, information that was actually false about HIV. Interesting. And would have actually put young people at in harm's way. Wow. Um, and so I, I raised the red flag and said, wait a minute, this is a problem. So you, w- did you grow up in the Lansing area? No, I actually grew up in Kalamazoo. Okay. Uh, I went to Portage Northern High School. Okay. You know, Huskies, go Huskies. Okay. Um, and uh, came up here because actually I had uh, my, both sets of my grandparents we're here. We're in here Lansing. in Lansing. Okay. Yeah. So that's what brought you to the area and, and, and how yeah. you decided to come to LCC. Yeah. And uh, it was, LCC was perfect for me mm-hmm. in that uh, you know, I was not a great high school student. And that is in part because I was struggling with my own sexual orientation. Uh-huh. And we know that young people, uh, as they are struggling with that coming out process, mm-hmm. struggle with their academic careers right. as well. Right, right. Having the opportunity to come to a community space like LCC, Mm -hmm. even though it was sort of scary for a lot of people to have sort of the out loud gay guy, the queer guy, as I like to say, Mm -hmm. um, saying, hey, wait a minute, this is not okay. You're you're discriminating against LGBTQ people. Right. It also gave me a sense of empowerment. And I think the most important thing it taught me was you have to speak your truth. Right. And uh, that speaking my truth and living my truth has informed everything that I have done since. It informs my journalism. It informs my theater. It informs my politics. It informs my being on the LCC board. So when listening to you talk, I'm just uh, I'm thinking about all the campuses, all the college campuses across the country. I mean, a lot of times when we when we think of the history of the gay rights movement and culture largely becoming aware of LGBTQ plus issues, 
it's always focused on, I don't know, big cities, New York, right? right. And, and, and listening to you talk, is like this happened it got at every community college in the country, right? The gay right. students at every community college. And at some point, people raise their hand and, and become their authentic selves. And those communities have to grapple with that happening. And so you were here when that happened. I, I Not only was I here when that happened, but I think... Some people would say I probably made that happen. Okay. So you have to remember this is 1989, 1990. Sure. So this is the era of Queer Nation, uh, Lesbian Avengers, ACT UP. Mm-hmm. So a lot more militant uh, LGBTQ activism than what we see today. The, right. the, the activism today is, frankly, a little bit more milk toast. Um, it's a lot more policy related okay. than it's just simply being recognized as human beings. Right. I think. I think the transgender community today mm-hmm. is where the LGB community was in 1989-90 here uh, at Lansing Community College. Right, and and is that because that initial push uh, for recognition is is so important at the beginning to start the conversation to to move things forward? Well, I, I think that's part of it, but is I it- also think. You know, identities shift and and uh-huh. the narratives change. Mm-hmm. Um, back in the early '90s, we were just coming to terms with our own understanding of our history as queer people. Uh-huh. You know, we celebrated Stonewall every year, right? But very few of us were willing to recognize that it was the drag queens and the transgender folks, right, that led the riots for three nights, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it was the Stonewall girls. The, the street hustlers, the, the prostitutes that really raised the bar mm-hmm. for Stonewall and said, we're not going to put up with you arresting us for being our authentic selves anymore. Right. And so and, and just to bring that back to LCC at a point that that you as an activist decide I get to be my authentic self here at this community college, that was part of your overall studies here and you what kind of classes were you taking when you were uh, a student here so i think there were two layers there that actually uh, fed that for me one was i was doing substance abuse uh studying because you know substance abuse is a huge problem in the lgbtq community Uh it's a big problem generally period certainly but there there is a a significant portion of lgbtq people that struggle with substance abuse disorder Mm -hmm. um which we didn't even call a substance abuse disorder at that time just as a Side note. Um, and so I was doing some studying on that, and there was no inclusion of LGBTQ people in those conversations, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in those classrooms. Right. And so I would often ask questions to raise that. I would ask questions about HIV and how it related to IVDU use or mm-hmm. intravenous drug use. Right. Um, and the, the professors, bless them, were interested but didn't have answers. Right. So I would go get them the answers and bring it back in. So I sort of became that obnoxious kid who I think, you know, anytime I'd raise my hand in the in the room, everybody would go, oh, God, the queer guy's going to say something about queer stuff again. Well, here's here's my view as a as a former <coughs> professor. You can view a student as a annoying kid or an input into the system. Right. And to me, it sounds like you had some uh, responsive uh, faculty who welcomed you bringing new topics into the classroom is one of the great things about more contemporary approaches to teaching. Absolutely. And, and I'll tell you, if I'd have been at MSU in some of those intro classes where you had three or 400 or 500 people in the classroom, 
there wouldn't have been the intimacy of 20, 25 people in the exactly. classroom. Exactly. To have those conversations and those exchanges with the professor that helped me to learn mm -hmm. and helped them to learn. And I think ultimately education is about a shared experience. Right, right, right. right. We're both learning, we're both discovering. So did you find that some of your faculty members here uh, were were welcoming of the information and vantage points you were bringing into the classroom? They were. Um, I, I actually found the administration less open mm -hmm. to having conversations about policy changes mm -hmm. and structural changes. Right. And, and we all know that systemic change takes work. It does. Um, and, it, and it's hard work, right? I mean, because we're trying to overcome a system that has been in place for as long as our consciousness is around. Right. So we, we have to relearn some things. And that's hard, particularly when you're in power, right? And particularly in organizations, right? Because right. it's one thing for an individual to learn, some, learn and grow, but for an organization to learn and grow. And it must be uh, somewhat rewarding for you to even just have a look at the uh, LCC website and see the kind of things that we do in the community to know that maybe the the organization wasn't as receptive to equity and openness uh, as it is now when it's really baked into our core values here at, the, at LCC. And I will tell you that part of the reason why it's baked into the core values is because of the work that I did here. Right, right. Um, you know, I was on the, the LCC student government, and this was in, I have to go back and look, so don't quote me on this. Mm -hmm. So whoever's listening to this, this isn't may not may, may not be the right date, mm -hmm. but it was ninety one, I think. I uh, passed out condoms on campus during mm -hmm. an HIV Black Awareness event, uh, and the the organization that was doing it was the Black Child and Family Institute, and they had been told explicitly they could not pass out condoms. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, what what good is it doing an HIV prevention? program if we're not going to give people the tools to prevent HIV. Right. So I walked across campus and passed out condoms and um, the student government <laughs> took action and threw me off of student government. Really? Um, and then the college itself started taking action to, to remove me from the college. It, it uh, made news th to Detroit, in fact. We mm -hmm. had Detroit television stations up here mm -hmm. covering it because mm -hmm. that was a big deal at that point. Oh, absolutely. But once we sort of had a settlement that we reached... Uh, internally, I was welcomed back to the student government, and the first thing that we did was pass a resolution calling on the board of trustees to pass a non-discrimination policy that included sexual orientation at the time, mm -hmm, which it still does to this day. So you know, thinking about that, oftentimes, you know, closed systems they don't change themselves, right? They right. require action from outside, and that's what activism is all about, right? Well, that's a fascinating story. That's so cool. Now, after you finished with your studies, you, you went on and did a, a number of things. I want to hear a little bit about your theater, because you and I met uh, with some community uh, uh, members talking about theater. Tell me a little bit about your background in the theater and the things you've done uh, with theatrical productions. Right. So uh, I, I actually ended up finishing my college degree time here mm -hmm. at LCC in 93. I graduated in 93 mm -hmm. and uh, was immediately hired as an intern at the Boar's Head Theater, which was our equity house right. here in downtown. I was the first LCC student to be hired as an intern for Fan the performance there. Fantastic. Um, which was a phenomenal experience. Mm -hmm. um, you know, working with John Peaks, um, who, you know, rest his soul, was an extraordinary human being and a talented actor to watch on stage. Mm -hmm. um, 
working with people like Dick Hill, who is uh, now dealing with end stage cancer oh. and is he's he is he is dealing it with it with the same lighthearted joy that he has embraced the world before. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and Dick actually left theater and made his fortune reading the Jack Reacher books. Oh, really? So doing audio books. Doing voiceovers like we're doing right now. Um, even more than that, because you, you you do character voices sure, when right, you're doing yeah. it, too. Uh-huh. So, but he became very famous for that, um, and he lives right here in Lansing. And that's somebody that I had an opportunity to work with, the the amazing Carmen Decker, who I got to work with. Um, I then went out and did some touring stuff. I, I worked with the what was then the Jackson Shakespeare Festival, but is now the Michigan Shakespeare Festival. Mm-hmm. I performed on stages there. Um, did a one-man tour where I was like a Mr. Wizard's World sort of thing. Uh, put 100,000 miles on a minivan driving around doing a Science of Light demonstration thing. Really? All this over the like East a, Coast. like a one-man show. One-man show. I'd show up at 8 o'clock in the morning and set up a laser system and all these props and stuff. And I'd do three or four of those in a day and then pack up the, the van and drive to the next school district. Wow. It was um, it was fantastic. It was one of one of my favorite stories from that actually was being in Rhode Island. I had I'd been trapped in in upstate New York at one point in a hotel where the fire alarms kept going off every 45 minutes, which was a nightmare, but uh, I was able to watch a PBS special about mm-hmm. the uh, history of vampiric vampiric lore in the Northeast. I had no idea that vampires were a big thing in the Northeast, and yet they were. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I found out that the last known vampire, and I'm putting that in quote marks because we're on radio and people Mm -hmm. can't see that, Mm -hmm. was named Mercy Brown. And she was buried uh, just outside of Providence, Rhode Island. So on a Saturday afternoon, I drove down to to the town where she was buried, found her found her graveyard mm-hmm. and there was a group of boy scouts um you know cleaning up the the graveyard and uh you know here i drive up in my minivan with these big black coffin like cases in it. <laughs> yeah and i get out and i'm walking the 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 rows of headstones and uh, uh one of the kids asked me what are you doing and i said well i'm, I'm looking for a vampire um, and the, uh, bless that poor scoutmaster. He said, kids, let's, let's go work over there, <laughs> way over there. Um, and I said, no, really? And so I went and I got a book that I had bought that had it. And I said, her name's Mercy Brown. We found Mercy Brown's grave. And I, I sat them down and we read the story of Mercy Brown, uh, which had actually been, there'd been a story published in the Providence newspaper at that time talking about how they dug her up. To, oh. to, to make sure that she wasn't a vampire for real. Oh, my. But just to be extra careful, they cut her head off and put it between her legs because that's old vampiric lore that they couldn't rise again. But she had died from TB. Oh, my. Um, and oftentimes TB, because they didn't fully understand germ disease theory at that point, TB was often thought to be a vampire because it would go through families and oh, wow. people would get paler and paler huh. as they got sicker and sicker. And the thought was that their blood was being drank by their family member that died. Oh. So, um, so after that, I came back to Lansing and cause I thought I'm going to go out and find my place in the world. Uh-huh. And what I found was my place in the world is Lansing, Michigan. It's a great place. Um, it's an extraordinary city. I, I love this city with all my heart. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so I came back and I started a Shakespeare company mm-hmm. doing free Shakespeare in the local parks. We did that for a decade. There is nothing more extraordinary to me than watching a young person discover the magic of Shakespeare without understanding that they are discovering one of the greatest playwrights in, in world history. Well, you and I share a love of Shakespeare. My master's degree was almost in Renaissance drama uh, before I, I changed my emphasis on the path I'm on now. But, you know, and I'm proud that LCC, I mean, you, you know our theater faculty well. Um, we regularly perform Shakespeare. You know, this uh, our upcoming production of Romeo and Juliet is going to be amazing. And I'm just so... I'm so happy that you uh, gave that gift of live performance of, of Shakespeare to this community for so long. So for on behalf of everybody in the community, thank you. Thank you for doing that. It's one thing to read those plays, but those plays were designed to be experienced. They, they were meant to be heard. That's they right. were never meant to be read. Right. It makes me think, though, I am interested in hearing about your time as an LCC trustee. So you had this uh, experience of being a student. You learned a lot to take you uh, around the country and doing theater in the classroom. You also were an activist on campus and, and, and really had a pioneer role in a, in a lot of our uh, equity and equality work here. But tell me the story of coming back as a trustee. So uh, I, I came back to, to, to Lansing after this tour And I got involved because there was discussions about how we needed to have a return on our our investment, the ROI. Okay. And as you know, theater and performing arts in general don't necessarily have a tangible cash return on investment. Maybe not a quantifiable. But but they have a a real return on investment in terms of community development Mm -hmm. and social development and community creativity alone, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which in and of itself is placemaking. Um, and there was there was a move to eliminate and cut the dance program. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got actively involved with that because... Mm-hmm. So uh, it was an issue that brought you back as a was, trustee. I've seen this happen across the country. So there was an issue it had to do with the dance program and that's... that's right. Okay. And and uh, I obviously I lost that argument. Okay. Um, I was not a favorite of President Paula Cunningham's at the time. I was not a favorite of uh, trustee Olga Holden's at the time because they were pretty easy targets for the, the, the activism and the arguments about the issues that were at play. Okay. Um, and I actually had a friend of mine say, okay, look, it's time for you to either put up or shut up. You got to run for office. Mm-hmm. So I, I got my signatures mm-hmm. uh, on the petition and I turned my petition in 15 minutes before the deadline mm-hmm. and <laughs> surprise ran unopposed. Unopposed. Okay. So um, you were duly elected. I was duly mm-hmm. elected and, uh, I, I was concerned because the, the plan to do the swearing in ceremony was scheduled after the start date of the the term so i was concerned that i was putting myself in a position where i was actually going to lose my seat because i hadn't taken the oath of office on time Hmm. so i actually held my own swearing in ceremony um and you know to uh, um um President Cunningham's credit and to uh at the time uh Brian Jeffries credit he was chair they both came to that squaring in ceremony. Really? Yeah. I've where, never heard of that. Where I explicitly called them out. Um, and, you know, I will tell you, it is a very different animal to be on the inside making those very tough decisions, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which was 
a new learning process. So I was going to say that. So it was a learning process for you uh, uh, to become a trustee and be taking a look at these issues from a very different vantage point. Right. And and I often, you know, we do, you, you have a different credit process now in terms of how you charge. That is a result of my direct advocacy while on the board. Because it was very frustrated. We would get these, oh, we're only going to do a $1 increase in credit hours, but then you would have this lab fee that was like $600. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm like, that's being dishonest. Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes you're not going to see that lab fee until you get the bill. Mm-hmm. So we need to find a new way to do that. And that's that's sort of how we've gotten to the, I, I don't know I don't know what it's called now, I apologize, but that, that's how we got to the new sort of formula for Form U law for how we're charging credits Interesting. here at LCC. Interesting. So you served on the board for two years. For two years. Uh-huh. And then I was uh, unelected um, because there was a slate of union-run folks that were not happy with So me. did you run for an unexpired term? Is that what happened? Uh, yeah. we okay. had we, there, there were a series of resignations okay. over the controversies, over the ROI, mm-hmm. um, and I ran for one of those open seats. Uh, okay. And uh, I won it. Um, you know, fair and square. Uh-huh. Um, and then I lost it. Right. Fair and square. Right. Um, and that's okay. Um, well, and it is, that's that's one of the inherent designs of Michigan Community Colleges. The Michigan Community College Act is really specific on this, about the terms of elected trustees, how they're elected. And, you know, there are different models all over the country, but in Michigan, it's an elected model, and that's, that's how the system works. So, well, thanks for your time as a trustee. Um, now, just thinking back, though, you've been connected to Lansing for so long, and it's, it's wonderful to hear uh, you know, how much you love this city and the things you've done for it. What, what are some uh, other thoughts that you have about LCC and its impact uh, on the community? I know it's a, 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 an organization that's special for you. What, what, what are your thoughts about LCC? So I think one of the things that I hear this still occasionally in the community, and it drives me crazy, is the idea that somehow this is last chance college. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not last chance college. This is first chance college. Yeah. This is that opportunity as an 18-year-old who hasn't really figured out where they're at in the world and what they want their place to be in the world mm-hmm. to come and discover. Mm-hmm. Right. And that is why I am so committed to the to the mission of, of LCC right. and to community colleges in general. Yep. Um, it's not just an opportunity for cheap edu- early education to move into a four-year degree. No. There, this is an opportunity for you to explore your own vision, your own values, your own ideas, your own personality. Yes. LCC made me the person I am today. Wow. I would not be the excited, inquisitive, and frankly sometimes pain in the rear that I am had I not come to LCC. LCC gave me everything that I needed to be a success in the things that I have pursued. I love hearing that. And and I also appreciate that enthusiastic explanation of all the things a great community college can be. And I will tell you, but, but just about every community college across the country has some kind of pejorative, nasty nickname. 
I could I collect them, so I could <laughs> tell you what they are. But there is a huge pushback against that right now, and I think that you see a growing understanding of the value that local community colleges have. And I want to thank you for being such an enthusiastic booster and supporter uh, of Lansing Community College. And Todd, it was so wonderful talking to you. I really enjoyed hearing the story, especially the long-term impact of your activism as a student. Uh, we are a very different college, uh, just like we're a very different country, but that didn't happen without brave people taking a proactive step forward and demanding change. So I wanna thank you for that. Thank you, I appreciate it. It's been a great conversation. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks a lot, Todd. Thank you. LCC Alumni Stories is recorded and produced by Steve Robinson on LCC's downtown campus. The soundtrack, Who Told You, is licensed through DeWolf Music and was performed by Ian McCanty. Thanks for listening. Learn more about what our alumni have been up to at lccconnect.org. And if you're an LCC alum and want to share your story with me, send me an email at steve underscore robinson at lcc.edu. Until next time, keep learning. This is LCC Connect on WLNZ 89.7 FM Lansing.